Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. From Variety, celebrating more than 115 years covering the business of entertainment, this is the Award Circuit Podcast. Nicolas Cage has been known for going a little over the top occasionally in his performances. Well, when they say that to me, I say, you, you tell me where the top is and I'll tell you whether or not I'm over it. <laughs> to me, it, it was by design. I was trying to break form with that which is naturalism. It was my aunt, Talia Shire, who first said to me, naturalism is a style. And I was also a big believer in art synchronicity in that what you could do in one art form, you could do in another, meaning in painting, for example, you can get abstract, you can get photorealistic, you can get um, you know, impressionistic. Why not try that with film performance? I'm Janelle Riley. On this episode of the Variety Awards Circuit Podcast, we talk to Nicolas Cage about his new film, Pig, as well as his entire career. Later in the program, Vicki Creeps and Mia Vashikaska discuss their intertwined roles in Mia Hansen Love's Bergman Island. It's all next on this edition of the Variety Awards Circuit Podcast. Stay close. Nicolas Cage is an Academy Award winner known for turning in memorable, completely original performances in a wide range of beloved movies, as varied as the action hit Face Off, to the searing drama of Leaving Las Vegas, to the wonderfully surreal world of adaptation. Even after acting for several decades, he manages to surprise and find completely original ways to approach roles. And yet he doesn't prefer the term actor. Cage is currently earning raves for his turn in Pig, where he stars as Rob, a solitary former chef who now hunts truffles with his beloved pig. When the pig is kidnapped, Rob goes on a journey to retrieve her that ends up revealing much about his past. They're not real. You get that, right? None of it is real. The critics aren't real. The customers aren't real. Because this isn't real. You aren't real. <laughs> okay. Derek, why do you care about these people? They don't care about you. None of them. They don't even know you. Because you haven't shown them. Every day you'll wake up and there'll be less of you. You live your life for them and they don't even see you. You don't even see yourself. We don't get a lot of things to really care about. Pig is a gorgeous meditation on love and grief from first-time feature director Michael Sarnowski, who Cage refers to as Archangel Michael. I recently spoke with Cage about his extensive career, from being born into a family of artists, his uncle is Francis Ford Coppola, to Pig, 
Cage discusses working with his mammal co-star Brandy, who wasn't the best at taking direction, and how he thought about his own relationship with his beloved cat Merlin to prepare for some of the emotional scenes. We also discuss a wide range of topics, from his casting idea for She-Hulk years ago, to a joke in the Melissa McCarthy movie Spy about a face-off machine, a tribute to the John Woo action flick where he and John Travolta play characters who swap faces. I began by asking if he always knew he would be an actor, coming from the Coppola family. Well, I think it it happened uh, because of my own relationship with my television set as a child. I just was so into these million-dollar movies that would come on with Charles Bronson or Sean Connery. And, and then I, w- I went to the New Beverly Cinema and I saw a double feature of uh, James Dean with Rebel Without a Cause and East of Eden. And when I saw East of Eden, uh, it really it just broke my heart. I mean, that him giving the money on the, his father's birthday, played by Raymond Massey, and his nervous breakdown. And I was having a nervous breakdown in the cinema watching that. I was just like, that is the most powerful thing mm-hmm. I have ever seen. And I've got to do that. That moves me more than any song or book or anything. And so that was what put the hook in me. Um, but having grown up, I, you know, I did visit different sets and I, I did see, uh, I went out to uh, Tahoe uh, during two and, and I just thought the energy was so unusual. I mean, it was all this electricity in the yeah. air. But no, my, my reason to go into film performance was because of my own connection with James Dean. Really? That's yeah. so fascinating. And when you say two, you mean Godfather Day? Yeah. I love yeah. that that it's, nickname for it. Well, it's my favorite of the three. <laughs> Mine too. Yeah. It's yeah. Because it was the most emotional, in my opinion. So, yeah. But, the Fredo stuff just wrecks me. And I was on I was on the set a couple of times, so I remember in that. I saw, like, the, the big party sequence uh, on Lake Tahoe when it was happening. And so when I see the movie, it brings back nice memories of my times with my cousins. So what was actually your first job as an actor? And I guess, I mean, that can include a school play. Oh, my first job as an actor. The first time you felt like you were an actor. Uh, I was on a bus going to school and I was getting bullied. And uh, I think I was maybe, I was in fourth grade, nine or 10. I don't know how, I was really young. and. I remember one day I said, I'm going to have to have some attitude. And I put on some cowboy boots and some tight jeans and a leather jacket. I started chewing gum. And I said, I'm not Nikki Coppola. I'm Roy Richardson. And if you don't leave my, my friend alone, I'm going to kick your ass. Wow. And that was a performance. Yeah. And that was the first time I think I could act because they, they left Nikki alone. After it worked. That. It worked. So it was this attitude, this performance of attitude. But my first professional job was uh, George Schlatter. He discovered me for a little pilot I made called The Best of Times, which was okay. It didn't get picked up. It didn't ultimately work. But he he saw something mm-hmm. in me, and that was nice. And then um, I did Fast Times at Ridgemont High. I was 16 on that one, and I auditioned for that quite a bit. But I was too young to play the Judge Reinhold part, so I didn't get it. That was not a happy movie-making experience for me. But then something happened, and I went in to read 
other actors on one of Francis's movies. And that was uh, Fred Roos called me in to read Matt and other actors, to, you know, cast C. Thomas Howell and, uh, for Outsiders. And then something happened where they gave me a part in Rumblefish. Nice. So that, that occurred. Um, I think that was – and then I didn't really feel like I hit a zone until I did Valley Girl. Mm. And I had changed my name to Cage. And I and Martha Coolidge, she was reading actors. She got fed up she, with Pretty Boys, and she said, "I don't want a Pretty Boy. I want someone that look like this. Who is this?" And I was Nicholas Cage at the time. It was the first time I was Cage, and they brought me in, and I read. And she had no idea about really? the family, and she cast me, and that was like, "Oh, I can really. This is me. This is me. You know, I, I can do this, and not not in a." reserved or, or, you know, cold way, but I can be free and be warm and alive. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so that was, I think that's when it came into focus. Is it strange to you that um, we're in a, a time now where movies you made are getting remade? I think that must be so weird because they, they remade Valley Girl a couple years ago. Yeah, and I still haven't seen that. I, 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 I want to I check that out. Yeah. I, I, I liked what I read about it. The approach was more of a musical. Yeah, I sh yeah. I will, I'll, I'll watch that tonight. I thought they cast interesting actors. So Yeah, and I, I, the director, I believe, is is really strong. I, I totally intended to see it, and I just haven't. But I always wonder what that's like for the original people. <laughs> I I I think it's flattering. Yeah. You know, I was like, wow, yeah, if you liked it that much to have another go at it, why not? You know, <laughs> let's see what you can do. I, I'd be curious to see. Now, thanks for reminding me. I will watch it. <laughs> Great. Yeah. I'm here to give recommendations. <clears throat> yeah, thank you. Um, so a script comes to you, and it's called Pig. Yeah. It's from an unknown director, Michael Sarnowski. Yes. Okay. I wrote, I wrote it out phonetically. I want to make sure. <clears throat> I call him Archangel Michael. <laughs> That's a that is probably the coolest nickname. Um, did you know him? Like, what's sort of your reaction? What gets you to pick up a script? Well, what happened was I I said I I said to the agency that I was with that you know I want to do something very dramatic and send me something and they said well we have this script and it's called Pig and I read it and I I felt right away especially the dinner table scene with the uh, colleague that was the 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 sous chef that I that my character fires there was something so moving about it the line we don't get a lot of things to really care about that just that just landed with me in in a profound way and I said, I, I need to meet with Michael. And we sat down and we went to Redbird in downtown Los Angeles. We talked, it's fun, right? Yes. Great restaurant, nice people. And we talked about food and then we talked about the script. And I said, Michael, you know, I had this dream last night that my cat, Merlin, who's like my best friend, um, something horrible happened to him. And I felt like I, I, I know what Rob is going through when this situation happens to his pig. Of course, the movie's about much deeper things as well. It's like grief upon grief and loss, and it's just an open wound when he loses the pig that he reawakens an earlier loss. What I thought was so profound about Michael and Vanessa's approach to it was they approached nuance in a very delicate way without over-exploiting it, without ever telling you too much. They left it mysterious, and I like movies that raise more questions than answers. So I knew within that I had the emotional content, the imagination, and the dreams to play this part without forcing it. 
to play it just by sitting down and doing that scene. And we we had maybe no more than one or two takes, and it just went very smoothly, and we were in sync from the beginning. And so we did it. And I'm I call him Archangel Michael because. You know, I knew it somewhere along the way after a couple of flops that I had been marginalized in the studio system, but I always knew that there, and I wasn't going to get invited by them, but I always knew that it would take a young filmmaker mm -hmm. who would come back and remember some movies I had made and know that I might be right for his, his script and rediscover me. And that's why he's not just Michael. He's Archangel Michael. This wouldn't be happening if he didn't have the open mind to say, come with me, you know. Define flops because I feel like you made a lot of movies like Color Out of Space, for example, which have very passionate fan bases. Well, those are those are indie movies, mm -hmm. and you're right. Those movies like Mandy and Color Out of Space, those were the opportunities that I went back to with these very original and surrealistic filmmakers like Panos Cosmatos. But by, by flops, I, I meant like Sorcerer's Apprentice with Disney didn't land or Drive Angry did not land. I love Drive Angry. Well, it's, in, in retrospect, now it's a fun. <laughs> Yes. Movie, right, but and then even Ghost Rider, um, uh, the second Ghost Rider, that was my last studio film, and so it seemed like I was no longer on the studio radar. But I knew I could always go back to my indie radar, mm -hmm. my, my which was and is still my roots. And I was just waiting. Yeah, I'm waiting for the right directors, Panos and uh, or Brian Taylor, uh, Mom and Dad, and just working with them or Werner Herzog with Bad Lieutenant or David Gore Green with Joe. I, I was always able to go back to these people that were still, you know, inviting me to the club. I have a very specific memory of uh, Ghost Rider, the first one, yeah. doing a junket interview with you and Eva Mendez. Yeah. And you had, I, I still think about this to this day, the most brilliant casting idea. Do you remember this? I don't. She should be She-Hulk. Oh, yeah. I did that was want, brilliant. I did want her to do that. Yes. And now they're doing it, right? Yes, with uh, Tatiana Maslany. Okay. Yeah. Well, well, yeah. Well, I'm, I'm sure who they cast is terrific, but Eva would have been great. Right. When you said that, like, I have been thinking about that for, like, what? It's been 20 years. I know. I, yeah. I mean, she didn't get the chance, but yeah, she would have been superb. That was one of the most brilliant. If the acting thing doesn't work out, well, you are a producer. Am, I'm like, yeah. you should go into producing. <laughs> no, I enjoy. Are. That's my thing about producing that I love finding talents and inviting. It's like to me, production, being a producer is a, having a dinner party. Yeah. And, ca and inviting who you think would be the best social uh, conversation at your dinner party and matching different people to meet one another. And that's what producing is. And so I, I had this idea of her and she was, she was down. She wanted to do it. It's such perfect casting. I feel like a little bit of tragedy that they missed out on that. Well, I think she's very happy and, and is involved with, very deeply with her family. Yeah. So um, everything works out. So I'm going to be totally honest with you. Yeah. Um, I heard so many wonderful things about Pig, and it took me a while to see it because I have – such a passion for animals. Yeah. You can do anything you want to humans right. in a movie, yeah. and I'm fine with it. Right. You hurt an animal, I and know. I don't want to get too spoilery, but I, I, hear, I, I it's, hear you. Yeah, but I obviously the, the pig is kidnapped. The pig also looks like my dog. Yeah, we're both <laughs> animal people, so I know what you're talking about. I mean, there is a moment, and I feel like everyone's seen it, so maybe I can't get spoilery, but there is a moment that is, I mean, just thinking about it now, I'm getting emotional. It's like one of the most heartbreaking things I've ever seen on screen. Uh, I know. Uh, what is it like to live that and do that scene? I guess you only had to do a couple takes. Yes, but, 
In terms of her name was Brandy, and and she did pass on of cancer, but there is a silver line, and she has piglets, <gasps> and they're happy. Oh, um, it's like Charlotte's Web. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> it is. That's actually a great uh, reference. That's what my dog is named after because he looks like a pig. He's oh, named Wilbur. Oh, God. <laughs> so cute. Um, Brandy was, you know, she was. She was really into the food, and that was her interest. And that she does, she didn't really want to participate. So, <laughs> we we tried to find ways to just make her comfortable and be happy. And I would give her carrots and things, and I was always very um, quiet with her and sort of petting her. But it was mostly that scene was mostly about the imagination mm-hmm. and what I could bring. Thinking about like Merlin, my cat. Like if something happened to Merlin, you know, and so. That's it was it wasn't a difficult scene to play. It, it's something that came very easily. Is it hard to live in that place though when you're shooting a movie because your character is retreated from society? Um, you know, he's he's alone by choice. Yeah. Um, but also, you know, uh, suffering this loss. Yeah. I I can't imagine. I mean, maybe you're so good you can just turn it on and off, but I don't think most people can. Well, it. I think. And I've gone on record saying this, and I really don't like the word actor because for me it always implies, oh, he's a great actor, therefore he's a great liar and lying in some way. And Olivier even said in his biography, what is acting but lying? So I like the word, with the risk of sounding like a pretentious A, um, I like the word thespian because to me thespian means you're going into your heart or you're going into your imagination or your memories or your dreams and you're bringing something back to communicate with the audience. And in that sense, you know, I can find things within to project back out to tell the story and inform the libretto or I can go outside in the macro and get a newspaper. I can see what's happening to that person or this person or that person and I feel it. You know, I, I take it in and then that that helps me play the scene. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's acting. You know, I think it's yeah. more like it's more like recruiting imagination. Mm-hmm. It's more Dare I say it? It's like it's more like a kind of like shamanism. You know, it's like what what the old the early shamans would do is they would go into flights of the imagination to find answers to help the village. And so I, I like looking at it like that with the risk of sounding completely absurd and ridiculous. I, I like the idea of it being something a little more organic and less artificial. It's like channeling, like you're immediately exactly right. in some ways. In some, yeah. in some ways. Yeah. I mean, in some ways. And I think any film performer would know what I'm talking about. And, uh, you know, you can say it sounds pretentious, but whatever you're doing is working. So I don't yeah, think thank anyone you. can criticize it. Yeah, I'm just trying to give it a, I'm trying to explain it a little, yeah. how it, how it, how I relate to it. I don't know if you saw, there was a recent profile of the actor Jeremy Strong no. And, oh, and it t- from Succession, and it talked a lot about how seriously he takes his roles. And I don't want to use the word method because I don't right. think he likes that word. And a lot of people were so surprised, you know. And and a lot of other people were like, "Hey, it's working for the person, right? You know, as yeah. long as he's it's it's not hurting anyone else." Oh yeah, I cannot yeah. question anyone's method because I cannot do what actors do. Well, for me, it's. Uh, 
you got to go towards what in some ways is is dangerous or scary, but it can't ever lapse into the realm of hurting yourself or someone else, which is why for me, it's about imagination. And I don't like, like, like Oliver Stone. Um, I said, you know, I, I really don't think you had to go to Vietnam to make Platoon. He goes, oh, yes, I did. So, but that was for him. That's what worked for him. Um, you know, Francis didn't go to Vietnam to make Apocalypse, but, but that's, everyone has their own tools and their own approach and their own memories and their own experiences. But for me, I, I don't need my, my cat to die to play the scene. I can imagine it and it can break my heart and I can get there and then thank God I can get back out, mm -hmm. you know? How old is your cat? My cat's about four. Wow. Okay. So in some ways still a kitten? In that's some way. Well, a very, a very, and I, when the word person literally from Latin means where the sound comes through, uh, through. And as a that my cat and thinking of him as a person, the sound that comes through him towards me is is um, it's so loving. Yeah, it's like it's it's most people think of cats as cold or distant, but he's he's like my child. You know, me and my best friend, and he's very we're very close. So I don't know. Now I'm getting <laughs> verklempt <laughs> over that. Well, I the love between a person and an animal yeah. is uh, like life-changing and undefinable. I was never a dog person. My ex had a rescued pit bull oh. that see and like I wear his he's gone now, but I wear his oh, beautiful. um yeah. collar and he uh I, 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 I'm not a mother, so I can't talk about the love between a mother and child, but like, it's just nothing I've ever experienced. Yeah, I, you I know? know what you're talking about. And I, the, I finally was able to watch Pig about a month after it came out because yeah. everyone kept telling me how great it was. And I was just so, see, now I'm getting the clip yeah, yeah. to make me cry. Yeah, yeah. I was so moved and so like impressed that it captured that, that yeah. feeling. Yeah. But Again, the movie is sort of like a, a grief upon a grief. Yeah. It's like a recall when he loses her. Mm -hmm. and it's bringing something back that was even a greater loss of sorts. You, you know, they say never work with animals or children, which are actually two of my favorite things. But um, was Brandy well trained, or could you not predict? I don't what she was think so. Do? <laughs> I don't think. I don't think she was. Really, but she didn't. She wasn't really interested in in participating with people. She was interested in, you know, she liked to get paid. Yeah. And you know what that means. She wanted her carrots and her, and so I made sure she got paid. I love uh, that. Yeah. <laughs> um, this is a very internal sort of subdued performance. And I think people a lot of times associate you with these delightfully big roles. I think I've asked you before, what, what does the term over the top mean to you? Yeah. Um, I mean it as a compliment. Yeah, what yeah. do you think when you hear that? Well, when they say that to me, I say, you, you tell me where the top is and I'll tell you whether or not I'm over it. <laughs> to me, it, it was by design. I was trying to break form with that which is naturalism. Mm -hmm. It was my aunt, Talia Shire, who first said to me, naturalism is a style. And I was also a big believer in art synchronicity in that what you could do in one art form, you could do in another, meaning um, – you know, in painting, for example, you can get abstract, you can get photorealistic, you can get, um, you know, impressionistic. Why not try that with film performance? And so literally when I did Wild at Heart, 
um, it was not really an Elvis performance. It was an Andy Warhol performance mm. because what he was doing with these icons like Elvis or Jagger was he was making these massive collages. And I thought, well, wh why, why not try and do that with film performance? Stanislavski said, if you, if you, the worst thing an actor can do is imitate. And I thought, well, being a bit of a rebel, I wanted to break that rule. So I tried in Wild at Heart a Warhol-like approach to the Sailor Ripley character. In like movies like um, Prisoners of the Ghost Land or uh, even, even Face Off or Vampire's Kiss, I was experimenting with what I would like to call Western Kabuki or you know, a more Baroque or operatic style with film performance. So break free from the, the naturalism, so to speak, and, 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 and express a larger way of performance. But I had done that, and mm -hmm. I had gotten a little tired of it, and, and I thought it was time not only to remind the audience that I could be more contained and subtle, but remind myself. And so Pig was also a perfect example of that, to be able to try that again. Because I, I did it earlier in my body of work, so to speak, but, but it, it had been a while. Well, I remember Snowden is a very kind of quiet performance. I didn't even realize it was you at first. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was interesting because, uh, you know, I had wanted to do Oliver a solid because he and I had done World Trade Center. Mm -hmm. And we had almost done the Milai incident. For whatever the reason, I, I couldn't. I couldn't do it. I just I wasn't able to go there mentally or emotionally. Or, and so I felt like I needed to you know, do something with him. And he asked me about doing this little role in Snowden. I was very interested in the story and yeah. have been following his path, Edward Snowden. And so I thought, yeah, this is a good one to, to do that on. When people see you, I mean, now that we're kind of out and about again, um, what is it they want to talk about? Because I can't believe I've gone this far without mentioning my favorite movie of all time, Raising Arizona. Wow. Uh, there's also the Wild at Heart people. There's, as my family will say, the Honeymoon in Vegas people. What is it that comes up the most? I would say Face Off. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Face Off. See, that movie was an interesting example of independent attitude and big studio filmmaking. And when I did Vampire's Kiss, I was experimenting with facial expressions and 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 movement in a way that was a little more, let's call it Nosferatu-esque or, uh, you know, uh, German expressionistic. And, and that was interesting to me. And so I, I had, it was like a laboratory. The Vampire's Kiss movie, the independent movie that is that, was a lab to explore and experiment. And then when John Woo invited me to do Face Off, I just cherry-picked what I thought worked from Vampire's Kiss and put it in this enormous, and I do mean enormous, budget studio movie, which was risky. Um, I did get some phone calls. But... Um, the fact that it, it worked, that it landed, and the public loved it, I was like, okay, see, this is why we got to make both. Yeah. You know, we, got, we can't give up on the independent movie. What were those phone calls like? Can you uh, – uh, Steve Ruther was like, uh, can you be a little more concise with your acting? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that was the scene in uh, – That was the scene in the jail cell where – God, it's such a trippy movie oh, – where – Sean Archer is is p pretending he's Caster Troy, mm -hmm. and so it was just so combo. It was so cubist, and 
and I remember I'm just like, oh, I'm Caster Troy. And it went on and on. And there's like almost like a riot. And I was kind of kind, trying to get a little Cagney going. Like, yeah. can I get a cigarette? And and that's when I got the calls. Like, can you be more concise? Because I just kept going for it. But I'm thankful that I did yeah. and that John let me to do that. Do that. He showed me Bullet in the Head. And that was the movie that let me know how far I could go with mm-hmm. him. Well, what's so impressive about that, too, is a lot of the time, Caster's feet are glued to the floor yeah. because of the, of the magnets. And yeah. you're using, you're still using your whole body. It's such yeah. a physical performance. It really was. It was, it was, there was a moment in there where I, I think I actually left my body, where I, I just, I got scared. Am I acting or is this real? And if you, I can see it if I look at the movie, that one moment, it's like I, it's in my eyes, like, ah, and I was like, oh. Is it in that I'm Caster Troy moment? Yeah. Yeah, I, I bet I know when it is. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this is such a sideways topic, but have you ever seen the movie Spy? No. Oh, okay. Well, here's my, this is my recommendation. See Spy okay. before Valley Girl, because there's a whole bit about the face-off machine. Jason Statham, Jason Statham plays a spy who is convinced they have a face-off machine. And his solution to everything is put me in the face-off machine. I'll get a new face and I'll go on assignments. Oh my God. And he refused. And they're like, well, do you have quarters? Because it takes quarters. <laughs> and it's, it's like, it's one of my all-time favorite movies referencing oh, another one of my all-time oh, favorite I'll movies. I'll check that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That sounds like fun. Yeah. It's a running joke where he's like, he's like, I knew you've got the face-off machine and you're hiding it from me. <laughs> that's fantastic. Oh, wow. That's great. So um, I guess, I don't know what you can say about this, but you're going to play Dracula? Yes, yes. What, what can you tell us? This is amazing. This well, seems it's, perfect. It is a fun. It's a. It's a really fun and exciting opportunity. I'm a, an enormous uh, fan of the the book and the character, and uh, and I did look at. Uh, I did a little triptych viewing. I, I looked at Bella Lugosi's performance, and then I looked at um, Frank Langella's performance. Favorite. Yeah, it was actually very very cool. And then I looked at. Gary's performance in uh, Uncle's movie, which I think is just so sumptuous. It's such a uh, – every frame is a work of art. But I was like, what can I bring that will be different? And so – because I want it to pop in a unique way. We've seen it played well and we've seen it played not so well. So what can we do? And I'm thinking to really focus on the movement of mm. the character. You know, I saw Malignant and I thought what she did and that all those moves or even Ringu with Sadako. I want to I look at what we can explore with his movement and with voice. But mm-hmm. the, the, for me, what makes it super fun is that it's a comedy. Really? A- yeah. And that – and when you get that tone right, yeah. comedy and horror, like American Werewolf in London, it's it's a blast. I mean, you got to get it right. It's got to be a bullseye. But that's what I'm that's what I'm looking for. Something new to bring to the character, and also that perfect tone of comedy and horror. Will this be a Dracula with like the tuxedo with the red, you know, V uh, and the the widow's peak? Don't or, know yet. Yeah. I'm, I'll know more on Sunday. I'm going in oh, for wow. a scan and a fitting, and we'll talk. That's Nicolas Cage, star of Pig, now available on demand. After the break, Bergman Island stars Vicky Creeps and Mia Wasikowska. From Los Angeles, this is the Award Circuit Podcast. Hey, 
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. And we're back. It's the Variety Awards Circuit Podcast. I'm Janelle Riley. In Mia Hansen Love's film Bergman Island, Vicki Creeps plays a filmmaker named Chris, who travels with her husband to Pharaoh, the island where Ingmar Bergman lived and worked. While there, Chris starts to dream up a new screenplay about a young woman who comes to the island for a wedding. Mia Vashikovska plays Amy, the woman within Chris's story whose life bears more than a passing resemblance to Chris. I spoke to both Creeps and Vashikovska about their roles in the film, which the latter described as an echo of each other. We begin with Creeps, who in addition to Bergman Island this year, starred in M. Night Shyamalan's Old. Set on a mysterious beach where people age rapidly over the course of a day, Creeps was asked if it occurred to her she made two films about people on vacation in ocean locales. No, because there was so much time in between, you know, because Bergman Island we did really long time ago. Because of the, we shot it in two years. We had to shoot it, I don't know if you know, but we had to shoot in two years. So we started it, I think, in 2018, 2019. And then there was the pandemic and then the old. <laughs> you shot old in the pandemic, correct? Yes, yes. Okay. Yeah. My favorite beach in Kauai, um, you kind of have to access by like a secret route and a secret path. And everybody always jokes that, you know, they're like, don't go to that beach. You're going to come back looking old. So, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'll, if I'll, you come back. Good point. I only stayed yeah. an hour, so I, I've only got four years on me. I think no, two years. Two years yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Bergman Island is is so beautiful, and I'm curious what was what was your knowledge or your relationship with Ingmar Bergman and his movies? Were you a fan? Were you? Did you have any passing knowledge? Um, I wouldn't say I was a fan. I was just, you know film buff in general maybe you know growing up as a teenager so I watched a lot of movies and of course his movies were part of the stuff you had to see so I watched it but I watched it too early I think um especially as, as a young girl growing up I couldn't identify myself with the women in his movies and I, I you know I couldn't it was difficult to digest in a certain way because there's like a tension in his movies and a, a certain unease about the characters, you know, and a lot of suffering and psychological stuff that I didn't understand, you know, when I was 16. So I, I think I really saw it too early. And uh, the movie gave me the opportunity really to rewatch his movies and to, mm. to see from a different point of view and to realize that sometimes it's good to get older. <laughs> <laughs> what, at what age do you think you first saw his movies? Because for me, it was like 17, I think. Yeah, me too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting you say that. I never I never thought about that. I should go back and revisit some of the ones I thought I didn't like. And I bet they will speak to me very strongly now. No, that's exactly what happened. It's very, very interesting. I I talked to a a friend of mine who's a director who who's a man, but he said the same. You know, he never really liked them. He watched the movies, but never really liked, didn't know why he didn't like it. And now he loves them, you know, especially as a filmmaker. So, yeah. Sometimes you need to get old to get the 
the right axis. <laughs> Should have just spent a little time at the beach and I would have uh, yeah. garnered an appreciation for it. Um, actually, the one I did love right out of the gate, even as a teenager, was Persona. Yes, yeah. but Persona was the one I watched and I liked it. But also, again, it happened that I had this, like, I couldn't name what I was feeling, mm-hmm. you know, in these women. I don't know. I was I was very lost. And now I watch it and I, I still cannot name it, but <laughs> I kind of like the way it feels, you know. And as a young person, I was a little, uh, yeah, it unsettled me, I think. That's such a good way to put it, yeah. And, and actually, um, Germany is good at coming up with names for things that no other words can describe. So I'm surprised there isn't a word. (laughs) Did I? Yes, I did. I did. I think in an interview before I mentioned that one of the the German words they have, which is not translated, not really, is called Sehnsucht. Have you heard of it? Mm -hmm. It's it's a little famous because it's this one word that, you know, it doesn't exist in German. And it's such a nice word because it describes a certain, it's it's a feeling, it's like a melancholic feeling sort of a longing for something you might have had before but it can also be longing for something you never had and you just like you don't know what it is like it's pulling you to somewhere or to something or maybe someone out of you or out of your situation and uh first of all i find that photo the the island is one of the places you would call a sinsuchtsort a place where there's a lot of this you know feeling and I think that the movies of Bergman are all inhibited by this feeling, you know, this, yeah, it makes you uneasy. You don't know why, but it's mm-hmm. not really sad. It's not really negative either. It's like, it's somewhere in between. And I like that feeling. I mean, not that I like the feeling, but I like the words so much. And I thought of it a lot when I was shooting uh, a Bergman Island. For the That's character a great especially. word. Yeah. I'm sorry to do this, but can you spell it for me so I make sure that I yes. <laughs> look it up properly? <laughs> so you, you spell it S-E-H-N-Zin and then S-U-C-H-T. And See? now the interesting thing is that the Zin, the first part, the S-E-H-N, comes one from seeing. It's called seeing. But it could also mean Zinen, which is what I said, longing, right? And Zucht is a, a addiction. Wow. But it could also be Zucht, which would be looking for something. You see what I mean? Like the word itself is interesting. It's like an island in itself. You know, it's like it, it has all these elements to it and it describes this big feeling we cannot describe. And yeah. I'm so glad I asked you to spell it because I would have been typing Z A. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so yeah, I didn't, I didn't realize that you, you know, began this in 2018. So I know I'm asking you to reach back a while. Um, but do you remember how the project came to you? Like, was it a script? Was it, you know, um, sometimes it's just a blurb, like someone sends you an email saying, Hey, there's this movie about this. I'm cause it's such a special, unique story. I'm just sort of curious how it was, you know, originally pitched to you. Yeah, totally. So, um, I got this script right away because the moment I came on the project, the project had been around for a while because Mia originally wrote it, not for, but, you know, with Greta uh, Gerwig in mind. She was supposed to play the the main part. Yeah. 
um, she and John Turturro. And then what happened was that Greta got her uh, first um, movie financed, uh, uh, Little Women. So she had to to pull out because Sony or I don't know the produ production told her you know this is the the time you have you got to do it and so she did. And uh, then what is so nice is that Mia had seen Phantom Thread in the meantime, yeah. and seeing Phantom Thread apparently she felt like oh. I would love this actress to be in my movie, but then I have an actress and I'm ha super happy with my actress. So why would I even, you know? But then when Greta left, she says it was very easy for her to just, you know, write me an email because for he was for her it was very clear that she had to ask me. And you know, I, I by coincidence it was lucky and I had time. I didn't really have time, but I made time, which is again a topic of the film because I'm a mother too. And it was supposed to be, uh, it, it was a summer holiday. And I was supposed to go on holiday with my kids. And there's always this struggle, you know, work versus having your kids. And, you know, which to find a balance is very difficult. And this was one of those where the, the, the minute I got the script, I knew I am in trouble because I want to do this movie. <laughs> but everyone else in my family doesn't want me to do this movie because we're supposed to go on holiday. So, um, which is funny because it's a core, in a way, one of the core subjects of the film is, you know, as a woman and a creator, how do you balance, you know, how do you make your choices? And I decided to do the movie and take my kids on the island, um, which in the end was a, was a wonderful idea because my kids loved it. And I'm not with the dad, uh, the father of my children, we are separated but it gave us the possibility because we had a house. So he could be in one part of the house. I could be in the other part of the house. And for the kids, it was so nice. They had both of their parents. I was working, so we were not always like stuck, you know, in one place. And it turned out to be like the shooting of the movie turned out to be like this huge, um, really a present for me because I had time to work and be with my kids. And then the first time for me that I could balance both and also... It was the first real movie I did after Phantom Thread. So after doing Phantom Thread, I got quite, I was a little lost, you know, and I got quite insecure. I was like wondering, oh, what should I do now? And, you know, all these people have seen me now and what is, <laughs> what am I going to do next? And it was so freeing to work on this project because, I don't know, because it's such an open film, if that makes sense. It's an open field to explore. And I could really go and explore. And especially in the first part, it was even more open because I didn't have a husband. So this is, you know, this is why we shot in two um, years. Because the first year, they asked me very short notice and they didn't find uh, an actor to play my husband. So they decided to still go and shoot without the husband, everything where he's not in. So all the, wow. the movie and the movie, me and the Humper Safari, but there are a few scenes where I actually walk out of one year and I walk in the next year. You wow. Know? You can't tell at all. No, it's crazy. Wow. I, even I cannot tell. I, I was so surprised when I saw it. I can't tell. But I know, but I can't tell. I actually think so, this sounds um, like a good movie, you going to an island to make a movie with your kids. I'd like to see that movie yeah. as well. <laughs> yes, you're right. Well, there is a movie, definitely. I can tell you that. There was some some crazy thing going on with crows. No way. You know? And 
yeah, it was it was really funny. So the producer said to me, "Oh, I had this crow in my bedroom, and I don't know. It was waking me up, and I was like, you should look that up. That's probably a sign. I don't know what the crow says, but you know." So we looked it up, and the crow apparently is like this is a lot of things. It's I think also the father figure, or whatever, which for him was like important, blah blah. But it's also apparently the the gatekeeper to the magic world, which is interesting because in our movie she goes and travels in her mind and reality blurs, you know, and then, um, and the definition of reality. And then she leaves what we think is real, returns to what we think is real, but, you know, elements travel with her and a compass or something. So the movie's also opening this magic door to, you know, this other kind of reality. And um, then one morning, I wake up because I hear something on my window and it goes duck, 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 duck. I'm like, what is this? And then, okay. I go and I see, and it's a crow. I'm like, no, that's not true. The next morning, I swear, at the same time, it was 6.30, the same crow, duck, 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 duck. Now I'm like, okay, I really have to look up what the meaning of the crow is. So I look it up and apparently it's the gatekeeper to the magic world. And it comes to wake us up to our true inner calling. No. And I'm like, Vicky, what is, what is, what stuff have you not, you know, is there something in you? Is there something in your suitcase you haven't opened? You know, be honest. What is it? And then suddenly I realized, well, I do have this thing with the guitar and I play, you know, my music and I never dare to show it to anyone. So the next morning the crow comes and that same day I decide to play my music to wow. someone and the crow never came back. <gasps> You're kidding. And I, I swear it's true. And I cannot believe in myself because it sounds like such a story. But it's actually really what happened. And it's because of this. And now I found someone I might record, you know, the music with. So okay. it's really, yeah. No, photo is a very special place. But in a good way, not in the old way. <laughs> that was Vicky Creeps, star of Bergman Island. Next up, I spoke to Mia Vashikovska, who plays the lead in the film that Creeps' character is writing on Bergman Island. I started by asking Vashikovska what drew her to the project. I was very excited about working with Mia um, because I, I had, well, and I also just loved, I'd seen her film Goodbye First Love years and years ago in New York. And then also I just loved that it's sort of, about the trajectory of a female artist and a female artist sort of finding her voice and struggling with doubt and and shadows of, um, you know, people bigger than us. And, um, and I also just love the honesty with which Mia approaches her films. Like she's quite um, shameless about uh, talking about things that are really present in her own life. So I just, and I was just really excited to work with her and, um, and and then all the other things were sort of just a bonus, like being on Fora the island was um, quite amazing. And, yeah, it's was, it was great. Did you know much about Ingmar Bergman? I did a little, but I wouldn't by any means say I was an um, expert. Like, I, of course, I'm extremely aware of of his legendary sort of status in, in the film world. And, um, and I have watched a bunch. I had at that time watched a couple of his films, which... I found super powerful and um, equally kind of terrifying. Um, so, yeah, I was 
Absolutely excited about that. But I also like that Mia wasn't sort of trying to mimic him as a filmmaker, that she was really doing her own film. Um, uh, yeah, so but I did not know him. That's what I've had to tell people is that like you don't need to know anything about Bergman to see this movie. Yeah. But there's some cool Easter eggs if you do. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Little surprises. I remember they showed Persona in film school. And I thought it was so mm. brilliant. This is going to sound like an insult and it's not meant as one, but um, it's only 82 minutes, I think. And it feels oh, like three yeah. hours, but not in a bad way. It just feels yeah. like such no, a it's... full rich film. And when I saw the running time, I was, uh, I was like, he, I, he literally stretched time. I don't know how yeah. he did it. <laughs> no, I know. It is. That's crazy. I didn't know it was so short because similarly, my memory of it is being like this epic kind of odyssey. <laughs> He's getting a bit of a comeback right now between this movie and uh, scenes from a marriage. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> that's so funny. Something couldn't have timed that better. No. <laughs> um, so did it's funny to say it to say Mia, but did Mia reach mm. out to you with this part, or had you let her know you were interested in doing something? No, she reached out to me sort of the way that um, it came through my agents and and from her, and I was immediately excited like seeing that it was her film um and yeah and then we just I read it and I really loved it really responded to it and um we spoke on Skype and well Skype at the time because it was pre-pandemic so there was I don't know anyway and uh yeah we got along really well and then I just I I feel like our sort of friendship just got sort of better and better and Mm -hmm. and um that was a real sort of joy in, in making the film with her was that we really, I feel like we really had a really great kind of connection and understanding of each other. This may sound like a strange question because you don't actually share scenes with Vicky Creeps, mm. but in some way you're kind of playing the same character. You're playing, mm. you know, her vision of this character in her movie, which I think is more than a little based on her character. Yeah. Um, that was yeah. a mouthful. Um, nice. did, yeah. did you have any interaction? Did you talk about the characters or even meet yeah we did meet actually which was really great because mostly the film was shot in two parts but there was a very small kind of crossover between us um during filming and it was so nice to meet her and she's just a wonderful person but I don't know that we I feel like Mia's script was so full and and um it was all sort of there so I don't know that we kind of went too in depth but what we loved is or what I loved with Mia's script was this sort of, um, you know, we're all playing a, a bit of an echo of each other and um, and that kind of, you know, continued probably just because we're aware of it while we're shooting that over the course of, of making the film, which was really nice. I'm going to use that phrase, an echo of each other. That is a much better way to put it. <laughs> yeah, it's, 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 it's really sweet. It was, yeah, it's cool. And was there anything, you know, special you did to prepare for the role of Amy? I mean, I was thinking about it and you've done so many genres and so many time periods. I mm-hmm. I, I feel like you might not have to research anything anymore and it might all be there already. Yeah, I think as I've gotten a little older and, and probably trust myself as a performer a little more, I, um, I don't sort of tend to do as much research when I was young and enthusiastic and <laughs> I, I dove in and wrote things and read things and and I loved that part of it but I think um that to a certain extent was just 
a lot to make myself feel like I did have done something mm-hmm. because acting so um, intangible, you just turn up and there's nothing that you have to show that you've kind of prepared other than just, you know, because it's really just about being in that at that moment. Um, so I, yeah, I didn't, to be honest. I mean, other than talking with Mia and, and um you know, little things like she would give me music that we were that she was planning to use, and and just being in the island felt like you could mm. really understand the feeling. How long were you there for? Mm, I think I was there for a month. Oh, that yeah, so nice. I mean, I know it wasn't yeah. a vacation, but <laughs> yeah, no, but it was great. It was amazing. You, yeah. um, Amy is oh, obviously she's she's dealing with some things, but I wouldn't say she's a tortured character. Um, whereas you, you have played a lot of people who were, you know, really struggling emotionally. Are Mm. you the kind of actor who takes your work home with you? Like, is it hard to let go of your characters at the end of the day? I I probably would have thought not early on. I I felt very confident. I was just leaving it and, and, and going home. And I do still believe that I, I don't feel like I in any way, um, need to get in a space where I feel it for like, you know, the whole, however long the shoot is. Um, But I definitely think just, you know, in very small ways, whatever you're sort of portraying or the the themes sort of influence you in in ways that you probably don't expect necessarily. But but no, I, I definitely have always felt like I like coming in and out of it very quickly and I don't, I don't need to stay in it intentionally. Have you always been like that? Because I've spoken to your Crimson Peak co-stars and director, and they talk about that being one of the most difficult, challenging shoots you can imagine. Oh, yeah, totally. <laughs> oh, my gosh, it was. Yeah, uh, it was. It's, yeah, it's, I don't I don't know. I think I um, always, yes, I've always felt like I. Um, it's really important especially when it's tense stuff to be able to, when they call cut, go, um, let it go and, and have a joke with people around you and, and get sort of positive energy to then channel it into the darker stuff. Um, so I've always felt that that's really important for me. But in saying that, I'm sure the material affects everybody. That's Mia Vashikovska, star of Bergman Island, currently in theatres and on demand. And that's it for this edition of Variety's Award Circuit Podcast and a wrap on the year. The Award Circuit Podcast is edited by Drew Griffith and Michael Schneider is the producer. Be sure to subscribe to the Award Circuit Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you download podcasts. Also, head over to Variety.com and click on the Award Circuit tab to find the latest Oscar predictions and key races, as well as your daily fix of news, analysis, and reviews. For Clayton Davis, Jazz Tankay, and Michael Schneider, I'm Janelle Riley. Happy New Year, and we'll see you on the circuit. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today 
at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.